the default rate in self-storage is 0.0. So it's a very safe asset class. And we'd like to have our investors in those self-storage facilities alongside us because it provides them with security, income, and growth, the three things that investors are really looking for. This is the naked truth about real estate investing. Your host, Javier, has already been through all the brain damage of this business, so you don't have to go through it. That way, you're not exposed to all of the risk of losing your shirt or getting caught with your pants down. So let's dive into another no BS episode right now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. The Naked Truth about real estate investing today will be the Naked Truth about self-storage investing. I want to thank all the guests and all our listeners. I've been saying that last couple of weeks. We are ranked top 1% worldwide in our niche. Thank you, everybody out there for supporting us. It's over 3 million podcasts, and we could not do it without our guest speakers, our guests, and our listeners. So thank you very much. With that said, today I have Tom Dunkel. I think I got that correct. <laughs> and he's out of Philly. I was almost stuck in Philly today on a layover, but I was not. They do sell storage, and we're going to talk a few things sell storage today, and we're going to go ahead and let him introduce himself and what he does. Hey, Tom, welcome to the show. Yeah. Hey, Javier. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be with you and the listeners today. So yeah, I'm Tom Dunkel. I'm Chief Investment Officer here at Bellrose Storage Group. And we're a self-storage syndicator, meaning we pull together groups of investors to buy value-add self-storage facilities, more or less up and down the East Coast. So we're trying to be in those areas where the markets are solid and growing. And what we love about self-storage in the South, right, Javier, is it's too hot to store stuff in the attic. No one wants to go up there. And the soil is very sandy, so they don't build basements down there like they do up here outside Philly. So folks need that storage opportunity outside of their homes. So, yeah, there's tons of great benefits to investing in self-storage. I'm sure we'll be touching on them today. But yeah, I've been running around doing finance and real estate stuff for over 27 years now. I don't know where the time has gone, but... I've been doing some fun stuff, working with some amazing people, and just really excited these days about self-storage. Oh, that's awesome. Well, you guys have been doing this for a little while, so give us the big picture on what you guys do. Yeah, of course. So my partner, Joan Downs, and I, we connected back in 2009, 2010 after we both got... Both got our butts whooped in the Great Recession back then. So we connected. We've been partners ever since. We've done things in different asset classes. We actually have a distressed mortgage debt company that's generated over $50 million of revenue over that time period. So that's allowed us to explore other real estate niches as well. So we've done hard money lending. We were involved in a title company. We've even done like fix and flip residential properties. We've also been limited partners as well as general partners in some apartment deals. But starting back in like 2017, 2018, we started hearing more about self-storage and we were really intrigued by it. It's a very steady asset class. So I've got a chart in our investor deck that shows self-storage occupancy, right? For 40 years, for a long time, has just been nice and slow and steady, about 80 or 90% occupancy across self-storage facilities over the country. Meanwhile, the general economy is booming and busting and booming and busting and booming and busting. So in good times and in bad, the data shows us that self-storage is pretty resilient. We also like it because of market penetration. So that's just a fancy way of saying more people are using it. So a few years back, it was maybe 8% of households in the country were using self-storage. But today it's 10 going on, 10 and a And I know maybe one or 2% doesn't sound like a lot, but when you consider there's 120 million households in the country, every 1% move is 1.2 million new 
self-storage customers. And there's only 55,000 self-storage facilities around the whole country. So demand is solid and growing. And the last thing I'll throw out there, Javier, there's plenty more, but this will be the last one I'll highlight right now, especially where we are in the cycle of the economy and real estate right now. We're starting to see defaults in different asset classes, retail, lodging, office, right? Self-storage. It's like, remember the movie Animal House, Mr. Blutarski, your GPA is 0.0. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's the default rate in self-storage, 0.0. So it's a very safe asset class. And we'd like to have our investors in those self-storage facilities alongside us because it provides them with security, income, and growth, the three things that investors are really looking for. Awesome. Yeah. So with that said, you guys have been around real estate for a while and done a few different asset classes. So tell me what's the main, besides the points you gave me now, but as far as like operations, right? Like being an operator, yeah, being on the side of the general partners, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me what's the biggest difference, right? When you're trying to operate maybe a different kind of asset in a self-storage. Sure. Another thing we really love about self-storage is the facilities we're acquiring, we're acquiring from moms and pops, right? And a lot of them are running their business more or less on the back of a napkin or index cards with pencil and erasers. We're coming in with a professional management team. We've got a sophisticated software platform, which was especially important during COVID, right? Where people didn't want that one-on-one in-person interaction. So now today, our customers can go up to facility of ours. There's a QR code on the fence. They can scan the QR code with their phone. They can fill out their rental paperwork right there on their smartphone, sign it with their finger, enter in their credit card information, which of course we love because then we put them on auto pay and it turns into kind of a planet fitness revenue model there where it just keeps hitting every month. And then they get their gate code texted to them right then and there. So they can enter in their gate code, gate opens up, they go inside, they find their unit, unload their stuff, lock it up, and they're on their way without having to interact with a human at all. And a lot of folks these days, of course, the millennials is the largest generation of people out there in the US right now. That's how they grew up, right? Is just doing stuff on their smartphones and their computers. So it's perfectly natural for them to not interact with a person. Now, if somebody does want to interact with a person, of course, there's a phone number on the gate as well. And they can call up our call center and our managers will help them through the process over the phone that way. So yeah, we've got to cover all the bases, but we're leveraging technology for sure. Well, that's awesome. I'm kind of that way where you have to call anybody, right? If I need to check in somewhere, <laughs> I want to do it on my phone, yeah. just like that. So if I got to sit there and call somebody and all that, I'm like, eh, I'll do it. My wife, she loves to get like, no, no, you got to get in the phone. She just likes it that way. She wants you to get in the phone and yeah. somebody make sure everything's right. Okay, great. I'm like, if I can do it on my phone, yeah. and it's really easy. If it takes me more than like 30 seconds to figure out how to log in or I'm like, forget that. I'm done. It's just different types of personalities, but you have her both. That's uh, right. You, know, you just come up, maybe you have somebody who likes, mm-hmm. you get on the phone and there they go, they call you or somebody who just gets the QR code and it's able to rent a facility. So we have a self-storage that we're adding in a few hundred units to, and we had to move some RVs, right? We had like a couple of boats and we're just taking space. We mm-hmm. had to move over so we can start yeah. our expansion. Mm-hmm. And one RV was there for like six years, right? They hadn't moved it. They've been paying whatever, 50 bucks a month for like six yeah. years. And we call them up like, hey, you got to move your RV. So then they took the opportunity to move the RV and like, yeah, I'm leaving now. So they ended up leaving. But with that said, people stay in their self-storage for a very, very long time. Right. If we wouldn't have had an expansion, that RV mm-hmm. would still be there, right? They'd still be paying. The- <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so what do you see as far as tenants, right? Your clients, like, how often are they moving? Is it every year or three years? Like, what do you guys see? Sure. Yeah. You're hitting the nail on the head, Javier. I mean, it's folks come in, right? And they say, oh, I'm just going to need a unit for a couple months. They're maybe doing some project at home or something moving around. 
And sure enough, two months goes by, three months goes by, six months, nine, 12. And you know, next thing you know, they're there 18 months or even going on a 24 months. And then they're like, oh yeah, I'm still paying for that self-storage unit down the street. So yeah, they inevitably stay a lot longer than they think they're going to. And I think it's just a function of, yeah, everybody's busy, right? And so they have their stuff stored off site away from their home and they just, yeah, they'll get around to it when they get around to it thing. But you touched one exciting area of self-storage, which is boat and RV. So boat and RV storage is an emerging niche within the self-storage niche right now because there's more and more homeowners associations out there that are not allowing boats and RVs to be parked in their neighborhoods. But meanwhile, people are continuing to buy boats and RVs like crazy. And so they need a place to store them. So boat and RV storage is a niche that's really gotten our attention. And we've been dabbling in it a little bit, but now we're looking to really make a move into it and even develop class A, what we call executive boat and RV storage, where it's enclosed and there's amenities and all that cool stuff. The other one, Javier, that you didn't mention is contractor storage. That's another exciting niche within the self-storage niche. And as everybody knows, right, riches are in the niches. So we like to niche down and get really good at something really unique. So we're about to close on a contractor storage facility down in North Carolina, down in Wilmington. And the exciting thing about that is when you have a contractor, right? And they have a, these aren't like the normal 10 by 10 storage units, right? These are like 18 by 30. They're storing expensive equipment in there, vehicles, materials, right? So they're storing their business in there. So guess what they're going to do? They're going to pay their bill every month, right? And because it is hopefully an ongoing business, they're going to be there for a while. So they're going to be really good tenants, sticky, right? They're going to be there for a while. They've got high value materials in there that they don't want to lose by not paying. And these contractors, right, as more and more of them are popping up and they're too small for like a flex space at an industrial complex, but they're too big. They've outgrown their garage at home or their wife is kicking them out of the garage to go find another space. So we really like that space as well, the contractor storage along with the boat and RV. Yes. And also when you talked about the HOA, a lot of HOAs don't let you park your company vehicle, right? If you have an HVAC, you, Great point. Mm-hmm. you own an HVAC company or you work for one, you can't mm-hmm. park that there, right? So if you got a place to store it, that's where you drive to work. Yeah. I've seen that as well, where people are parking their, their work vehicles just because they don't have enough space at their current location or you can't park them and employees can't take them home. So that's right. Yeah, it's very interesting. So what is your like average or what are you guys looking on? I just heard you say new development, but you also said value adds. So when you're buying mm-hmm. a value add, you're buying an existing self-storage facility. So you guys do a mixture of both and what's like your deal size? That's right. Yeah. So to this point, Javier, we've mostly been a value add shop. Some of our facilities that were existing that we acquired as part of our value add and turnaround strategy, there might've been some expansion opportunity. So we've been doing some of that, but as the company's growing and evolving and we're learning more we are looking more at developing from the ground up, which I know some people might think that's an interesting strategy in this spot of the economy and the spot of the market. But by the time we find the land, we get it zoned properly entitled, we get all the permits and the plans and all that stuff, we're going to be out of the other side of this economic malaise that we're in right now. So if we started today, we're in July 2023. You know, we wouldn't really be even opening the doors probably until the beginning of 2025 when everyone seems to be thinking the market's going to be coming back then. So we're excited about that for sure. 
Oh, that's awesome. And then as far as your deal size, when you're buying a value add, is there like a minimum square footage you're looking for? What are you looking for? Yeah, sorry, I missed that part of the answer. But yeah, the deal size, we're targeting facilities that are at least 20,000 square feet preferably more like 30 or 40, or if it is only 20,000, maybe there's an expansion opportunity to add another 10 or 15 or 20,000 of storage. And then we probably top out around 50 or 60,000 square feet because you start getting into that size facility and you start banging up against the guys, the real estate investment trusts that have way more money than we have, and they can pay a lot more for that kind of thing. So we try not to go head to head with those guys. That's a losing proposition, but we found a nice little segment of the market above the moms and pops and below the real estate investment trusts where we've had a lot of success over the past several years. So our average acquisition right now is about 3 million, give or take. The largest one we've done so far is about six and a half million. But then on the low end, we've also done like a bolt-on. So we acquired a facility in Lakeland, Florida, and there was another one down the street. And that one we picked up for like 600 or 650,000 after acquiring the one down the street for like a million eight or something like that. So we look for those opportunities to bolt on in the same market, even if it's a small facility. Yeah, for sure. You can scale that because now you have 30,000 square feet, right? That's right. If you were only going to buy one, you maybe want to be at, one was at 15, the other one was at 10 or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Just might not work by themselves, but if you get both, then it definitely makes sense. That's right. Yeah. So up in upstate New York, we have a facility where we acquired along with it an extra parcel of land across the street. And so the facility that we acquired is about 30,000 square feet. We're going to build another 30,000 across the street. And so the cool thing about that is when 30,000 square foot isn't going to be looked at by real estate investment trust, but 60,000 might. So we're going to look to get some cap rate compression. And we already have the existing facility, building the facility across the street, running them both as a single facility, 60 plus thousand square feet and branded together and run it together. And so we're looking to exit that to a larger regional player or real estate investment trust down the road. Yeah, it's nice because they will pay a little bit more because they like the larger, right? They'd rather buy up or 100,000 square feet right. or square feet at one time than buying four 20,000 square foot facilities. Just, they, yeah. just can't, they can't scale that fast and they have a lot of money. so Right. <laughs> and they've got to deploy and the more stabilized facilities as well. They're not looking to take on a big turnaround project typically. Sure. So I got two questions. When you're going to acquire self-storage, can you tell me the top maybe two or three things that you guys look for, right? As far as maybe a due diligence or like, hey, this is what we got to make sure. And then also when you purchase it and you're running your facility, what are the two or top three KPIs that you got to focus on? Yeah. Great question, Javier. So yeah, when we're looking at a facility, we really spend probably just as much time analyzing the market as we do analyzing that specific subject property. So in the market, we're looking for steady or hopefully growing population, but we want to be careful there. We're looking for kind of the Goldilocks scenario, right? We don't want the market to be growing so fast that it is going to attract a big real estate investment trust or some other big player, but we don't want it to be flat or negative because of course that's going to erode demand for self-storage over time. So we're looking for that kind of Goldilocks scenario where there's a good solid population that's growing, but just not too fast. And same for jobs. We look for increasing employment. We'd like to see a diversified economy. So it's not just a one factory town thing. 
And then we're looking for another Goldilocks scenario is income, right? We don't want the income to be too high. Income's too high. That means folks can buy bigger houses and they do have the attics or the on-site storage. So they don't need to go outside their home for storage. And then on the other end of the scale, right? We don't want the income to be too low because then we're going to run into delinquency and turnover issues with the customer base. So we're looking for that Goldilocks scenario, depending on the area of the country. And we're looking at like 40,000 of income up to maybe 75, 80,000. So those are some of the key things that we look at in the actual market. And then when it comes to running the facility, we have about five key KPIs that we look at. One is physical occupancy, right? So we want to make sure that we've got a good level of physical occupancy. But if it's too high, we know we're not charging enough. (laughs) If it's too low, we know we've got another problem. And then economic occupancy is the other one that we look at. So basically, the economic occupancy tells us, are we getting the best bang for the buck out of this facility? Are we pushing our rates up to where the market is willing to pay? The other one we like to track is auto payments. So like I touched on a little earlier, it becomes kind of a planet fitness model. So we like to get the auto pay up because that means that we're going to have less challenges with delinquency. And it also is going to show a better customer base, right? If somebody has a credit card and they're able to maintain it, that's a good customer to have. We also look at expense ratio. That's one of the beautiful things about self-storage is for every $100 of rent that comes in, our taxes, insurance, utilities, maintenance, payroll, manage a fee, et cetera, totals up to about like $35, maybe 40 in a smaller facility. So that leaves 60, 65 bucks left over to cover our debt and then pay a nice dividend to our investors. As compared to multifamily, which is the reverse, right? $100 comes into a multifamily apartment, 60 or $70 of that goes to those operating expenses. So it only leaves about 30 bucks, give or take, to cover the debt service. And then hopefully there's something left over for the investors. So that's something we really like. And then lastly is delinquency. We keep a close eye on delinquency. I think the industry average is about 10% across our portfolio is 2%. So we really have the managers dialed in on that, make sure it doesn't get out of control. Awesome. And then for your managers, you guys have your own management, you guys all in-house? We are. Yeah, we're in-house. We have what we call a hybrid structure. So we have a human assigned to each facility. But as we talked about earlier, Javier, we really use technology to make sure that that one manager can handle two, three, four facilities at a time. Awesome. So you did mention about the expense ratio. You like to keep it on 35, 40%. So it gives you enough for debt service and you can give a nice return to your investor. So tell me a little bit about that. I know you're the CFO of CIF. CIF, Chief Investment Officer. Yeah, Yeah, CIF. Yeah, there you go. There's so many C's out there. So that's one of your main roles is talk to investors. Tell me, we're going to give your contact information here shortly, but tell me a little bit about what your role in the company is. Yeah, sure. So yeah, that's what I work on all day, every day is just making sure that we're finding great investment opportunities for our investors. And I'm also out there and do podcasts like this and I write some articles and we do some blog posts and other stuff just to put information out there to the investment community and the investor community, just to add value to them, make sure that they have the tools that they need to make good decisions. So along those lines, we do have an ebook that's available for free on our website, bellrosestoragegroup.com. It's basically a due diligence checklist. It's something I developed over the years as an investor myself, full-time for 16 years, and as a finance guy for over 27 years. You know, I've been around, I've seen a lot of deals. 
I've made a lot of mistakes. I've done some good stuff too, but we try to condense it down into a usable checklist for investors to get out there and find good alternative investments. I love talking to our investors, making sure that they know what we're up to. We have a current offering right now, which we love to put out there to our investors because it's going to give them the opportunity to continue to build their wealth securely, right? It's real estate, throwing off income, self-storage is great cash flow, and then it's going to grow in value over time. So those are the three key things that our investors are looking for. Thank you, Tom. It'll be on the show notes. It's Bell Rose Storage Group, B-E-L, only one L, and then rosestoragegroup.com. And I'm on your website and they scroll down at the homepage. You'll see a little green box, a little opt-in for a get your safe investment checklist now. That's right. Um, there we go. And LinkedIn, just your name, Tom, and then last name is D-U-N-K-E-L. That's right. That's for your LinkedIn. That's right. You can find me personally on there and you can also find the Bell Rose Storage Group LinkedIn page. And the same goes for Facebook. Awesome. Perfect. Well, Tom, I appreciate you being on the show. Before I let you go, we're going to transition over to my favorite part of the show, which is called the Naked Truth Roulette. And this one has nothing to do with real estate investing. Got nothing to do with with it, right? We just want to know everybody that we're all still human. We all still have a life outside of work. I hope my wife doesn't listen to this because she... (laughs) Anyways, but I'm going to share my screen. I'm going to ask you three random questions. Oh boy. Okay. Which is right on the spot. So... I'm solidly in my 50s, so I'm an open book at this point. I'm not trying to impress anybody. So. There you go. There you go. All right. <laughs> so first question for Tom and a naked truth roulette. This roll. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So there is a zombie apocalypse and you can okay. have three people, dead or alive, superstars, friends, whatever. What three people could you have? It can't be a significant other or children, right? Like immediate family, okay. just somebody outside of that. Okay. Well, I'd have to say Alex Formosey. He's the author of $100 million offers. And I think he's just an overall badass. I think he's a great businessman, problem solver. So I think that would be a good guy to have on my team. I would say, geez, I got to come up with two more. I think it'd be really fun to have Donald Trump around. I think he'd be good for entertainment value. And I don't know if money would be valuable in the zombie apocalypse, but anyway, he'd make something happen. He'd be a good comic relief and then probably want to have Joel Osteen there with me. I'm a Joel Osteen fan. He's always good at encouraging and making the best out of difficult situations. So I'd go with those three people. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> that is definitely a random three, but hey, sure three, Tom. That's right. Great answers. Thank you. Let's go. All right. What is the worst chore to do around the house? I mean, cleaning toilets is the worst. And clean toilets. That's the first one I hear that one. I always heard dishes, doing laundry. Vacuuming. Yeah. Yeah. Clean toilets. That would be the worst. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that one, but I do the other ones. (laughs) All right. Let's go. Last question. Yeah. All right. What is your favorite quote? You make your choices and your choices make you. Interesting. Yes. You make your choices and your choices make you. That is definitely true. Thank you, Tom, for surviving the naked truth roulette. (laughs) That was a lot of fun, Javier. Thank you. Oh, yes. I love this just because it just gives us a different perspective, right? Everybody who I get on the show, we got successful entrepreneurs, yeah, people who've done a lot in business and got a lot of knowledge and we're still all human, right? Sure. We're still all here. We're still all people. We just do a little bit different things. We hang out with different people and we just make different decisions, just like you mentioned right now, right? That's right. On your quotes. So Tom, thank you so much. Anything you'd like to add before we end the show? No, this has been great, Javier. Great questions. Great conversation. I just encourage any investors out there looking to explore self-storage, please reach out to me. I'd love to talk to you. 
That's awesome. 506C. I believe we spoke about that before the show. So a 506C mm-hmm. accredited investors. That's uh, right. It'll be a 506C offering, I believe, or just accredited investors. So thank you so much, Tom, for being on the show. I am Javier, your host. Don't lose your shirt. Just as promised, I like to give out free stuff, some tools and tips that's actually helped me in my business. There's nothing out there like getting some free stuff that people have spent a lot of time, energy in putting together. It's like a referral. Somebody asked me for an electrician. You don't know what kind of brain damage I had to go through to give you this good referral for an electrician. You got to appreciate referrals from people, okay? Because they went through a lot to find that one good person. So I'm going to give you my due diligence template for buying apartment buildings. It's attached to monday.com. It is an affiliate link, so they're going to send me a kickback. Not a lot, but a little bit. But you can either download it as an Excel or you can put it on monday.com. Monday.com is pretty cool because it's a project management platform software. It's super cool. I use it all the time for my social media, for my team, tracking deals, doing tasks for everybody. It's, uh, it's actually pretty good. You can track construction. It's a project management platform. It's a really cool Monday, like the day, monday.com. So my due diligence checklist is there for free for you. This has been The Naked Truth. Our mission is to give it to you raw. If you got value from this episode, you're invited to leave an honest written review and share this episode with a friend. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.